0: Hey, well, good morning. good morning. Man, welcome to church. It's so glad. I'm so glad you're here. And, and uh, if you're new today, we're so thankful that you're here. You could take a connect card, fill it out, throw it in a box on your way out or on the uh, next steps table. We'd love to just connect with you. And uh, we're thankful that you're want to welcome those online as well. We're grateful for you and uh, look forward to the day you can come back to join us. And I'm also welcoming those in the lobby. There's a big old group of people in the lobby. So uh, welcome to you guys as well. So Easter's coming, right? And I know you're going to take the opportunity that God's given you with the people that are in your life that you can influence to invite them. Eight, 830 is mass service, 945 and 11 it would be a service. We need half of you to go to 945, half of you to go to 11. We're going to ask you to sign up so that we can be prepared for you, and then you invite anybody and everybody you want to invite, and there's a spot for them. Okay, so that's our way to do it. Uh, kids ministry will be at the 945 and the 11, and uh, from here on out, we will have kids ministry at both services, so it will be good. Next Sunday, real quick, let me tell you this, we are um, voting on our board members, members 15 and older, uh, before the first, in the middle, and after the second service, we will be voting. All those who are uh, members will vote in that way, so I want to make you uh, make that known to you. And then next week, right after the service, uh, actually both services, no matter which one you come to, we're having an interest meeting for our mission trip, which we're going to Appalachia, and we're going to some of the poorest parts of our uh, country, and, um, and not just a bad year, but a bad decade, and potentially a bad life or bad generations. And so we're going to reach into them and love on them. So you're interested in that, there's a 15-minute uh, meeting next week to give you more info and dates about that. And most importantly, today in the back corner, there's a meeting for softball, <laughs> okay, if you like softball, and, uh, and maybe you want to impress that significant other, then go play softball. Okay. Hey, so we're, we're, um, we're a church that takes the Bible literally. We walk through the Word together, and so we, we don't really skip over it or pick things out that, that we just want to pinpoint or, or hammer. Uh, we like to look at the whole Word together. So we've been in this series where we've looked at Nehemiah and the fact that God called him to repair the city wall and, the, and specifically the gates in his day were a big deal. So we're moving into chapter 4 because that was chapter 3. We spent like eight weeks there and we're moving into chapter 4 today and I promise you we'll not spend that many weeks here just this week. And the next week we'll go to uh, like chapter 7 to 11 and then um, Easter Sunday. is going to be an incredible day. It's going to be so great. I know the Lord's going to move in unbelievable ways. And then we're starting a series on the life of Joseph. And so those you invite to Easter will be pushed to come back and learn and walk with us um, in that series. It'll be a great way. We're going to make it fun and exciting. And so uh, just know that there will be a next step for them as you uh, invite people to come with you. Okay, you say, well, I'm new today. And I know, Pastor, you've got to move it along because we've got baptisms at the end we're super excited about. And we've got, we've got a lot to, to get through. So, so catch me up. Okay, if, 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 if I've not been here every week, catch me Okay, here's the deal. Nehemiah was called of God to go back to his his forefathers' land and repair the wall around the city and the gates. The gates were a big, big deal, so we've spent a lot of time on that. But then they he spent a lot of time also building the walls because it was for protection and it was um, it was a way to uh, to be honored in that in that season and and they just needed to repair some things and so. He sees a problem from a thousand miles away, this unforgiving desert, and he says to his boss, Artaxerxes, can I go fix the wall? And so he says, I'm going to pray a ton about it, and then I'm going to move into that space, and I'm going I'm um, I'm to I'm do everything I can in your, in your power, Lord. And so he sees a problem, and he does something about it. If you've ever seen a problem and thought, why isn't somebody doing something about this? Then you understand Nehemiah's a struggle, And you, you understand his heart. If you've ever tried to take on some kind of large endeavor, or you've tried to change people from what they've always done to, to, to understand this, then you get Nehemiah's issue. And so he puts great work into this, and he is met with great struggle. And so sometimes we think when God calls us to it or God leads us to it, or we feel like it's a good thing, it's going to be so easy, And yet there was so much opposition that came his way. Here's what it says in verse chapter, uh, uh, chapter four of verse one. When Samuel heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. Okay, hear that. He became angry and incensed, and he ridiculed the Jews, and he brought his, his associates around him. He said, who are these feeble Jews? What are they doing? Will they restore the wall, offer sacrifices, finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life? He's basically mocking them. And the second enemy of the, of the people was a guy named Tobiah, and, and he was an, an Ammonite, and it said that he said, what are they building? I mean, even a fox could climb up on it and break down their walls of stone. They're just, they're just mocking Nehemiah, these two guys. They're just, they're, just, they're just jawing at him. So these two guys, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, heard that the wall was being repaired around Jerusalem, the gaps so or the gates were being closed, and they were angry. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it, but Nehemiah says, we prayed to our God, and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Let let me just pray for us for a second. Lord, we love you today, and here we are. We're getting into your word. It's the most important part of what we do, and in a moment we'll celebrate with those who've had life change and want to go public with their faith. But in this moment, would you help us to just understand your word and apply it to our lives, we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. There's There's this little unknown story in 2 Samuel chapter 23 that I want to tell you about. King David had these mighty men, and these, these, um, these mighty men were known to be the, the best and the brightest warriors, and so if you went into battle, you wanted to take these mighty men with you, and there were 37 of them, and one of them gets a shout out, he's relatively unknown, but in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, it, it talks about a guy named Shammah. And he was one of these mighty men. And this is what it says in verse 11 about him. It says, when the Philistines banded together, think large people, okay? Goliath, Philistine, large people. When they banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, beans, the bean field. I'll tell you this, I love beans. You ever played the game where if you have... Uh, like three, three foods that you could take to an island, those are the only three fea- foods you could have, beans would be on my list. Dead serious. You know something really weird about me? I'll let you on this. You know what my, my preferred breakfast, not that my wife ever makes this for me, but my preferred breakfast, because she thinks I can make my own breakfast for some reason, <laughs> is some black beans, some bacon, and a black coffee. Ah, we ought to start serving that before the services. That'd be great be known as that church. All right, so, so the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils. And it says that the Israelites, the troops, they fled. In other words, they tucked tail and, and ran. They got scared. They took off. But Shema took his sword. He took a stand in the middle of the field. It says that he defended it and struck down the Philistines. And listen to this. And the Lord brought about... A great victory. So his two his two verses of claim to fame, the only thing he's got is that he didn't fight like a, a, a giant like Goliath. He didn't restore city. He didn't save a princess. He defended a bean patch. All the soldiers run away. He stands and he decides this is worth defending. Like, for me and for this reason, and apparently the Lord led him because the Lord saw him through it and gave him victory. He's very clear on that. And it lands him in the pages of the Bible. Now, before we get to high and mighty, that's two more verses that he has that you and I don't have. Right? I don't see your name in there defending anything. And funny enough, we're like sitting on an actual used-to-be bean patch, you know. So it says that, that literally that he defends this bean patch. You don't have to make a splash on the world. I don't think it's great if you do. You don't have to, though. But let me tell you this. Our main responsibility, simply put, as Christians, is to defend whatever God has called us to, literally our bean patch. And we need to take a stand for what's important and defend those things that are worth standing for and potentially also dying for. So your bean patch, for example, is your family and your faith. And your life. And there are some things that are valuable enough to die for. And you'll take a stand and say, I'm not moving. The Lord has called me to this. He has equipped me for this. I am taking a stand. It's what Shema did. He looks at these Philistines, these giants, and he says, This ain't your bean patch. Move it on. And when they don't, and everybody runs, he knows God has called him to it, and so the Lord gives him the victory. Now, what happens at that, in that bean field with Shema, is the same thing that happens in Nehemiah chapter 4. Because this strong leader stands up and says, God has told me to fix the walls, and there's this moment. And then you've got these two mouthy losers. That's what I'm going to call them. Sanballat and Tobiah. And, they, man, they just, they, they just got these war words with Israel going on. They're just talkers. They're just... They're just, they're just kind of trash talking. but Here's the main verse of this passage, verse 14. It says, After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You know, Nehemiah didn't encourage him to, to protect the city, defend the city, which was obvious. He encouraged him who stand specifically to fight for the family. So the trash-talking enemies of God, these two guys, they keep on, right? They, they say in verse 1, they, I'll repeat it for you so you, so you catch it now that you've got the gist of the story. They heard it was being rebuilt, and they became angry and greatly incensed. They ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of the associates of the army of Samaria, they said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall, their sacrifice? Will they, will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life? From a heap of rubble burned as they are. Tobiah, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox could jump up on this, climb down and break these walls. They, they just, keep, they just call, keep jawing at him, right? But you can't be deceived because the words are eventually going to escalate in, in what is um, from a deep seated place, which is deep, deep anger that these guys have. Like they're just talking now, but that anger's getting ready to, to seep out and getting ready to go in much. More difficult directions. And so, so the anger is the Jews have been in exile for 70 years. They've been in captivity. Uh, they've been, excuse me, they've been in captivity with Babylon. They come back to settle the land. They just want to do their thing. They just want to rebuild their wall and rebuild their city. And they just want to establish their lives, right? But people are opposed to it. And this war, war of wars escalates to a war of weapons. So the Jews were like extra guarded. And it says in verse 6, So we built the wall till all of it reached half its height for people worked with all their hearts. But Samballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the men of Ashdod heard about the repairs, and they were very angry. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night. Did you hear it? Nehemiah's first response is to pray. Against a military attack, his first response is to pray. Verse 4 tells us this. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sin from their sight, for they have thrown insult in the face of the builder." People of God hear this. The greatest weapon we have against any enemy is prayer, period. It's the power of prayer. And the prayer went something like this. God, get them. No mercy. Just, just go get him. Now, you look really good today in your Sunday best, and I would guess you would never say something like this. But have you ever prayed, don't raise your hand, a prayer? God, get him! Right? She's just praying this prayer like, God, get him. Don't have mercy on them. Just, just just, get them. Like the jerk at work. Like, Lord, if he could just get a paper cut right on that one spot of his tongue. Or, or like there's a sibling, the know-it-all sibling in the family. If mom and dad could just come around the corner at just the right time. Or somebody cuts you off on I-40. Or honks at you on 42. You know, you know that rage that comes out. When my kids were younger, um, they're a lot older now. But when they were, one of them was really young. Some of them weren't even around yet. I heard him yell from the back of the car, "Get out of the way, you stupid idiot!" <laughs> and I know he heard that from his mother. You know, you know the hardest part of parenting is parenting you out of your kid. You ever notice that? And so God can take your raw emotion. I mean, he can. He can handle your raw emotion. Now, if it's just between us and him, I don't think that's the greatest prayer to pray, but he can handle your emotion of it, right? I mean, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's something. I mean, David prayed in the Psalms a couple of times. God, kill him, send him to a pit. I don't care. I don't want to see him. But, but, I don't know. I mean, you know, the Lord handles that, and he understands, but he'll help us move past that kind of feeling. What, what we know is the first place we always go is to the Lord. We have to understand that. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, we pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Most of us would prefer, however, to spend our time doing something that will get immediate results. We don't want to wait for God to resolve matters in his good time because his idea of a good time is seldom in sync with ours. So they just stopped and prayed. But that's not all they did. Because it's a two-fold approach, right? They, they were prayerful, but they were also practical. I mean, they were practical in this. They didn't only pray, and they didn't only do practical things. Nehemiah says in verse 4 that they prayed, part 1, and part 2, they posted a guard day and night. In other words, they, they did something. They, they prayed. It was their first response. But that wasn't a crutch to not do anything. It was like, well, God gave us a brain for a reason, so, man, put a guard out there. Have one at the daytime, and have one at the nighttime, and let's pray and use our brain, right? And, and he gives us moments like he did in Nehemiah where he says, okay, I'm challenging you to do something, but people are going to oppose you, but, but are you willing to take the risk in my name to do it? Are, are you willing to step out and be less comfortable now because I've called you to something? I mean, do you ignore his promptings when he pushes you to do something, when God starts to... To to challenge you, or do you, you just take it as not serious, or or do you step into that, lean into that? Do you pray and then you take action? So when you feel the Holy Spirit start to nudge you, you you you've got that that opportunity. Ignore it, not take it seriously. Pray about it. Take action. You say, "Well, give us some examples." Great, I'm glad you asked. Here's some examples. The Lord the Lord nudges you to go into ministry. And you say, Lord, I'm too old for that. Oh, my goodness. I mean, do you know how old I am? Do you know how long it's taking me to get to this place in my career? Do you know how long I've, I've tried to build, and you're just going to ask me to step out and go into ministry? And I know that God is calling people in this church to give their lives to, to ministry either here or abroad. There's a couple that I know, we're going to start partnering with them. They're from uh, California, but they have kids who live here in Raleigh, and I've been connecting with them, and, um, and they felt called in the middle of their lives to go to the Philippines and serve the poorest of the poor. Man, that's, that's beautiful to me. What do you do when the Lord starts pushing on you? All right, we'll, we'll make it a little easier. What do you do when the Lord says, hey, just serve at your church? Like, attend a service and, and, and serve one. I mean, that, that's, that's easier. What do you do? Do you push that off, or do you, do you jump in? Hey, here's one. You know I couldn't let this one go. A, um, a free check, I say free, a stimulus check drops into your bank account. Now what do you do? I mean, you're like, oh, man. Now, now do, you, do you tithe on it? Do you not tithe on it? I mean, here's the thing. So my wife and I took Financial Peace University. She's a free spirit, and I'm the nerd. If you haven't taken that class, you really should. And it changed our life. It, it uh, helped us stop fighting about money. And one of the things that we learned was that um, she doesn't really care about money, and you can give it away, spend it. She don't care, and I have every dollar attributed before that money hits my bank account. You know, I know where it's going. And so, um, so that thing hits my bank account, and, and for now it's free at least. And so uh, here I am. What do I do? And, and, and I feel like the Lord, <laughs> Lord tells me, why don't you tithe more than 10%? Because I, mean, I can do 10% now because it's a habit, it's a muscle, and I don't have a problem doing that. Why don't you tithe more because it's kind of legalistic for you now and you didn't, <laughs> you didn't do anything to get this money anyway, so, so, so he nudges me, right? What do, you, what do you do? What do you do when you feel, when you feel things like that? Imagine if every, every family here said, I'm going to give 10% to the spiritual house and let's go reach people for the kingdom. <laughs> man, we blow the roof off, man. You say, man, my neighbor needs Jesus and I've always backed off from, from giving this invitation to them because I'm scared, I'm, I'm scared they're going to reject me. Okay, well, what do you do? Do you sit on another invitation or do you take that, that chance? You might say, I've got to apologize for years of neglecting a spouse or, or dishonesty or little white lies. Do you, do you decide to have that hard conversation or do you, do you back off from it? You might say, well, I've promised or overpromised to my kids some things that I haven't delivered on. Well... Here's how faith works. When, when, when faith reaches maturity, God nudges you, you pray, you act. Until then, you've got a lot of work to do. And he'll walk with you the entire way. So, so Nehemiah, he's got this threat in, in chapter 11. It says, he says, Our enemies, before they knew it or could see us, will be right there among us. We will kill them and put an end to the work. This is, um, this is the enemies talking about coming into the Jews. And then the Jews who lived near came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack you. Basically, Debbie Downer steps in and says, Nehemiah, 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 they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. Those people drive me crazy. Do you feel like that? My wife sees the glass half full. I sometimes see the glass half empty. I don't need you to tell me what's negative, right? Right? into my life the the faith that God can do this. So Nehemiah commands them. He says this. He says, station some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the most exposed places, posting them by families with swords, spears, and bows. In other words, defend yourself. I mean, Nehemiah had a NRA bumper sticker, you know? (laughs) So they're praying people. But they also took action to defend what they felt was worth defending. So here's the question I get. I thought Christians were supposed to be mild and meek. I thought Christians were supposed to be peaceful. My question becomes, when did meekness become weakness? Or when did peaceful become ultra-passive? It's almost as, as if culture has decided that the 11th commandment is, thou shalt be nice no matter what. And Nehemiah says, we're going to pray, we're going to have great faith, and we're going to act, but we're going to defend ourselves and our family and our land. And then he says the most important verse of this passage, verse 14, do not be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And when our enemies are aware that their plot of their plot, and that God has frustrated we will all return to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. And the officer posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. In other words, give me a brick, Put some mortar on it. And you know there's that one guy that always like at work, he's always kind of like not doing much of anything. And you're like, hurry up. like Because you got a sword in one hand. And you're like, give me, the, give me the brick. Put some mortar on it. Bam. Come on. And the whole time you're watching to see who's coming to attack you. And half of you are trying to watch and half of you are trying to work. And, and, it, and it's stressful. And it's, and, it's, and it's motivating. And you got to get this thing done. And what they decide is this is worth doing. It's worth standing for. And ultimately, if, if must be, it's worth dying for. We have decided we're going to defend here and now. And not an aggressive assault, but a defense. Check this out. Jesus, this is an overlooked passage, but at the end of the Last Supper, um, right before Jesus is, is going to uh, head to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to his disciples, verse uh, 36 of Luke 22, but now if you have a purse, take it in a bag, and if you have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Verse 38, the disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. Is that enough? Now, you've got two swords amongst 12 people. An army, that is not. But maybe it's enough to defend so you can make your stand. Now, now you know Peter's got a sword under his tunic. I mean, he's definitely definitely coming out swinging. And the minute, listen to this, the minute he gets aggressive, he gets rebuked by Christ. They head out from the Last Supper to the garden, and Judas comes and kisses Jesus Jesus to betray him. And Peter goes rogue and whips out the sword and cuts the ear off of the Roman, Roman soldier. And he misses. You know, he was going for the head, but he hits the ear. And the minute he does it, the minute he steps out, the minute he, the minute he goes aggressive, Jesus rebukes him. Because he says, put your sword back, because if you pull out the sword, if you draw the sword, you die by the sword. And then once again, like he does for us, Jesus fixes the mess that Peter created, and he reaches down, and he takes the ear, and he puts it back on the man and heals him. Just a side note, whenever I read that passage, I always wish that he had cut his head off so Jesus could reach down and put his head back on. Okay. So there are two swords and a uh, 12 guys, not an army, and Peter gets aggressive and Jesus rebukes him, but Jesus is not created an, an army that is there to fight. He has said, defend yourself and do what you are called to do and defend." So you say, well, what, what does this mean for me? Well, it means uh, for you, what is the bean patch that God has called you to and what areas must you defend so the Lord gets the victory? How do you pray and, and, um, and practically defend your family, your family, your faith, and your life? And Man, I, I'm going to tell you these days, and I don't think you have to be very smart to figure this out, but the family and faith are under attack. Unless you've been living under a rock, man, you, you totally know that. And one of the biggest mistakes we made was in the 60s, we took prayer out of schools. And we decided, oh, we don't want to offend anybody, so we're just going to remove prayer from the schools. Uh, uh, it, it's just, man, I'm telling you what, you know what? It has been a spiral. We decided, well, we'll take prayer out, but we'll still, we'll still do practical things. Well, you've taken, mo- you've taken most of the, uh, of the work, out of the scenario. If, if the, if the plan was to pray and to, and to, and to act, you've now taken prayer out. You're just going to act. Well, now you're on your own. Right? And understand this: that tragedy and pain. Stalk a godless nation it does that's what happens when you make little decisions to remove prayer, remove ten commandments or decide the bible is archaic at best or pick and choose what things you're now going to believe because you don't want to upset your system or offend someone or be told you are wrong now, let me tell you this. You can get all this on the news. You know all this kind of stuff. I could go into more detail. And yet, God has called you for such a time as this. He has. He's called you for such a time as this to defend your family and defend your faith and defend your life. So I'm looking at the men and I'm saying, man, lead your family. Read the scriptures to your family. Pray over your family. Pray together. Moms, pray for, pray for dad and encourage the kids to the house of the Lord repeatedly. Lead them through the things we give you in the kids' ministry. For the singles in here or those who aren't uh, in a relationship, don't just react, like proactively live a holy life. Like, like the, um, the, uh, the, the instant gratification will, will compound in your life in good or bad ways. Like if you can push it off and have holiness, God can do some great things. If you just have to have instant gratification right now, you'll pay the price dearly for a long time. Grandmas, grandpas, man, pray over your families. Invest in them. Don't don't check out. Learn the word together. Come to church together. And I'm praying that God will raise up lawyers and politicians and judges and teachers and those who lead the public sector and love Jesus with all their heart. That starts in the home. We partner with you, but that starts and is uh, strengthened in your home. I, if I was going to tell you anything, I would just say, for your home and your families and your life, defend the hearts of those in your circle. Yesterday, I went to Repticon. You know what Repticon is? It's like, a, um, it's like one of the, uh, what do you call it? It's like a, it's like a show they do at, the, at NC State on the fairgrounds for weird people. And so so here I am. I'm at, the, I'm at the fairgrounds with all these people who like snakes and spiders and lizards and and uh, and sugar gliders and turtles. and uh, Man, one lady, I'll tell you this much. She, she made me mad now. She said, you want to have a picture of my parrot? I said, oh, yeah. I got in front of her with my camera to take a picture. And right before I snapped the camera, she said, that'll be $10. Like, oh, I started deleting pictures, man. I don't know. I know $10, man. So here I am amongst these people, and I'm not, I'm not really big on the snakes and spiders. I don't want any reptiles or rodents in my house, so I'm going to put just completely honest. I got so many things that live in my house right now, I can't keep anything else alive. And my wife can't either, because she proves that with the plants that we have. Anyway, so, so I shouldn't have said that, man. So, So... So I'm sitting here, and my son, he likes his ball, ball python or whatever it is, and so he puts it around his neck, which is not really my favorite position for a snake, but, but it wasn't having a good day. And so it, like, like, showed its, like, fangs and was getting ready to bite his face. You know, which is a good reason not to ever put a snake around your neck. And he, and the guy said, oh, oh he's not in a good mood, and he took it off. And so my son was instantly like, can I, can I hold that one instead? Like, what? boy, what's wrong with you? Like, you ain't serious. And he looked at me like, you're the dummy paying $10 for a parrot picture, you know. You know. <laughs> well, let me tell you this. I try to do as many things as I can with my kids so that they'll have those memories. Remember that time we went to that reptile thing? Remember that time we were on the ball field? Remember that time that you came to the, the school play? Remember that time that, that I got an academic award? or, or, or Just remember, remember when you were there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I want you to remember that. But if they don't remember anything else, I don't want to confuse the good with what is great. And what is great is when they give their heart to Christ, when they surrender to spiritual things, and most of all, they understand, I love you, but God loves you more. And he has a plan, and he has a way, and the only way you will find true happiness is to follow him and his ways. And so I, I encourage you, Don't listen to what culture is telling you. Get your face in the Bible and do what it says and lead generation after generation after generation back to Jesus.